You're listening to Alamo City Limits Podcast with Noah McGarrow-George, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of Pounding the Rock in SB Nation. What's going on, Spurs fans? Welcome back to Alamo City Limits, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of SB Nation and Pounding the Rock. As always, I'm your host, Noah McGarrow-George, and that's my co-host, Damian Bartonic. Man, how are you feeling now that the 2022 NBA draft is over and free agency is right around the corner. I'm feeling very good, Noah. I'm feeling very good for a plethora <laughs> of reasons, to be honest. I'm feeling very good because I get to sit here and talk with you about all this. And then it's kind of like a double up, like a double XP weekend almost. Because <laughs> on Great Day Essay, I'm going to pitch like, hey, let's talk about free agency on the show. You know, like might as well. So... It's definitely really, really dope, man, to just be here and, and chat, man, and just disconnect for you know a good 45 minutes to an hour. Yeah, I feel you 100% on that. And just before we kick things off, you know, as we always do, we're going to let our listeners know that we're recording this on June 28th. It's about 1.44 p.m. Central Time, but we have a lot to discuss as the Spurs used all three of their first-round picks last Thursday to select Jeremy Sohan, Malachi Branham, and then Blake Wesley. So let's go ahead and break down San Antonio's newest rookies, starting with Baylor freshman forward Jeremy Sohan. Dame, how did you feel when you saw his name run across the the screen on draft night when the Spurs were on the clock? Well, here's the thing, Noah. I dyed my hair green because I knew Jeremy Sohan was going to be a Spur, right? So I was already getting in the the mood. But seriously, man, he was a guy that I think... The only reason why I didn't say the Spurs were going to take him in our previous episode was because I was buying into the the Spurs taking the, um, I don't want to say traditional big, but a center, right? I was thinking they were going to take Jalen Duran at nine. That was kind of what I was thinking after everything we've heard. I feel like that's where they were, that's where they would lean. But for the longest time, Noah, I felt pretty confident in Jeremy Sohan at nine. Uh, I even mocked it on the side on Pounding the Rock. I just felt like he made the most sense for what they need. He's a nice blend of being a guy that I believe has a higher floor than some than some in this class, but also has adequate upside as well that you can kind of bounce off and say, hey, you know, if this guy can hit, he can be potentially an all-star caliber talent, right? So I really like Jeremy Sohan as a player. I like the passing. I like the fact that he can pass really well. Uh, I think defensively, obviously, that's the one thing everyone think everyone's going to mention. As he's truly versatile, he's really one of those rare breeds that can truly guard one through five. And, and... He doesn't look out of place no matter who the assignment is, right? He's a fantastic player. I think very, very good off the ball. Now, there are some issues that we have, like the shooting uh, is definitely a major concern. That's kind of the biggest swing factor, in my opinion, No, I would love to get your opinion on that. But in my opinion, the swing, the biggest swing factor on what kind of player he's going to be is on whether or not he can shoot the basketball, right? I don't think the, the shot looks too clunky or too kind of out of whack, but it's definitely not where it needs to be. And luckily for the Spurs... Chip England is right next door. So, I mean, hey, maybe we're putting too much stock in what England can do. But I think overall, man, Sohan can be a really solid player. I think at floor level, he's a high-end role player, high-end, you know, bench guy, 7th, 8th, ninth man kind of guy. Uh, but I think ceiling-wise, he could be a, a, a fringe all-star kind of caliber talent. Uh, and I think that San Antonio, they did excellent work picking him at number 9. Yeah, I agree with you too. And I think I was in the same place with you as thinking, okay, it's probably going to be Jalen Duren. And I think my my reasoning behind thinking that was Brian Wright at the final press conference before the draft happened. 
he said, you know, we're basically we're going BPA. We're going best player available. We don't care about fit. We don't care about position. And when I heard that, I thought, man, I don't know if this is a smoke screen or if this is serious. It feels serious, though. And while Jeremy Sohan makes sense, they need a four. He's a four. He's got upside. He's got a high floor, as you mentioned. Jalen Duran, at least in my opinion, and I think a little bit of yours, I don't want to speak for you, but seemed to maybe have the higher long-term upside, even if he was going to be more of a project player for San Antonio, really any team who selected him. So I went, you know what? I think I'm going to go Jalen Duran this time. But I wasn't super surprised that they took Jeremy Sohan. And I agree with you. I think the biggest swing skill is going to be a shooting, right? Like the three-point shooting was not good. He shot below 30% from three. Now, he wasn't afraid to take any threes, but right now just didn't look very good, specifically 29.6% from three, 58.9% from the free throw line. He banked in 10% of his threes this season. Really poor touch on floaters, 21.4% on those floaters. The shot, I felt like you really needed to have the space and he needed to have the time to actually let it fly because otherwise it's kind of a slower motion. I believe Adam Spinella from the box and one kind of said it was like a catapult. And I think it's not broken, but I think you can see that right where it starts off a little slow. And then at the very end, it's almost like a little bit of a line drive. So looking at his shot, in my opinion, again, he's going to get a chance to work with Chip England. And that guy has worked wonders with several guys, but projecting the shot, a lot of those indicators for being a good shooter later on, they're just not really there. And I think if he never reaches respectability as a three-point shooter, it's really going to severely cap his offensive value. But obviously, as you mentioned, the defense is really what you're buying into at this point. So Dame, we talked a little bit about his biggest weakness in terms of shooting, but I think we should talk maybe about some of his strengths. So for you, what were his biggest areas of uh, that he was really strong in? And we can sort of expand on those because this is, I think, our episode where we can really break down guys for fans, kind of project their roles, let them know who these guys are, at least in our opinions, from the tape that we've seen. Yeah, so I think for just, just for starters, the one thing that Noah and I constantly refer to throughout every podcast, really, when it comes to the Spurs, is their need for basically a modern skill set, uh, you know, versatility at the three and the four. Primarily the four, right? The four has been a hole for forever, it seems like. Sohan provides that immediately as a defender. I mean, when I said he can switch one through five, I truly believe that. I mean, laterally, he can move very, very well. Uh, in isolation, he only allowed his opponents to shoot 27% from the floor. I mean, this is a guy that really can do it all uh, out on the perimeter. And, you know, for a 6'9 guy who, you know, some people stay, say, I've, I've read that, you know, they think he's a little bit stiff in some areas, he moves very well. I mean, I, I think he's a guy that, defensively you can really stick on someone else's best player and say hey we're gonna live with the result right san antonio doesn't really have that right a lot of times people point to Dejounte murray who i do like uh, but i like you know taking the words uh, out of my guy noah mcgar george's mouth i love <laughs> i love the saying Dejounte is more so an, an event creator than i would say a you know your prototypical quote-unquote lockdown perimeter defender that's not to say Dejounte yeah. is not a great defender because he is he's, he's, a, he's a good event creator he knows what he's doing here, you know, if I could uh, relate him to an NFL player, I would equate him to like a guy like Trayvon Diggs, right? <laughs> Very, you know, led the league in inter- interceptions, but gave up a ton of yards. Dejounte led the league in steals, great event creator, can play out. You know, when he sees everything in front of him, right? Very good player in in that respect, but also allowed what was it, forty seven percent shooting whenever he was defending. Almost fifty percent, yeah, yeah, almost fifty percent. So I think the Spurs truly need a guy that is 
uh, more versatile and more well-rounded on the defensive end. And I think, especially at a position of need like the four, Jeremy Sohan provides that, man. I think defensively, Noah, for me, uh, his biggest you know strength right out of the gate, right out of the box, is going to be his defense. And the Spurs' pick-and-roll defense was pretty bad last year. I mean, between DeJounte and Derek, they both have different strengths. But two of the things that those guys, and obviously Derek is no longer part of this roster, but one of the weaknesses for both Derek and DeJounte was their screen nav- navigation, particularly in the pick-and-roll. They had a tendency to, once they were hit by a really hard screen, they sort of die on the play, right? Now they're fighting to recover. It leaves Jakob Pertl. We've talked about this several times. Jakob Pertl is now guarding two guys at once, the ball handler, the role man, That's a really tough position to put him in. And one of the things I really like about Jeremy Sohan is not only can he play drop coverage if you need him to as a big man, but he's also, as you mentioned, mobile enough, has that lateral mobility, has the foot speed, the seven-foot wingspan, the size, the frame, the strength to be able to go ahead and guard the pick-and-roll ball handler as well at the outset of plays. You know, I think that's one of his biggest strengths is that he's going to be very scheme versatile. He navigates ball screens really well. He communicates with his teammates on switches. Great at the point of the attack. Can play at the level of the screen. Hard hedges and recovers to the roll man. I mean, you name it, this guy can do it. Now, I'm not saying he's perfect. You know, he definitely has some flaws here or there. I do think he's probably a guy who guards, you know, two, three, four, some small ball fives. You know, maybe can switch out on ones in, in, a, in a pinch. But... There are some flaws. You know, he's a guy who's a little bit jumpy, can get a little over-aggressive, can get a little foul-happy. He's a guy who will fall for pump fakes near the rim. He's 19 years old, one of the youngest guys in this class. His foundation and his feel for the game at this young of an age, being one of the anchors for that Baylor defense that was top four in the nation in defensive rating and one of the toughest conferences in all of college basketball at 19 years old, I just feel like if you, you can nitpick him all day, and we can do that, But he's 19 years old, and that foundation that he has is so tremendous that you put him in a professional system with a guy who is defense first like Greg Popovich, I think he's going to be all defense level defender at at a certain point in his career. Now, maybe not year one or year two, but for me, I think it's more of when than, uh, you know, will he. I think he definitely is a lock for that at some point in his career. I truly think he's outside of Chet Holmgren probably the most impactful defender in this class. Yeah, I think uh switching to the offensive side of the uh off- offensive side of the floor for him as well. One thing that I do like is the fact that he can be a lob threat in certain situations, especially out of the dunker spot. And quite frankly, Noah, one thing for me that I that I feel it's something that I have a good conversation with my other friend Noah as well a lot uh <laughs> we have a, a good bit about is especially when teams play this drop coverage these days or just in general out of the pick and roll when you get when you have these, you know, these new age guards if you don't have a floater in your game or you don't have a lob threat, I mean, I feel like as a as an offense, your your pick and roll upside, your ability to score out of that out of that action, it kind of it's limited a good bit. And the Spurs have haven't had a lob threat or someone really that can kind of dominate out of the dunker spot in in a good while, in my opinion. So I feel like Sohan's ability to bring that, I, I'm really excited to see that. Right, I think even with a guy like Josh Primo, uh, we've mentioned how like Sohan has you know really good really uh, solid feel for the game. Maybe with a guy like Primo, that can kind of open up his offense, his pick and roll, you know, upside as well. Like the possibilities are endless, right? I mean, w- all we've been talking about is versatility, versatility, versatility. If Sohan can provide that on both ends of the floor, if he can improve his shooting a little bit, I mean, I don't know how anyone could sit here and and tweet that uh, it was it's going to be a mistake. I, I just I just don't <laughs> get it. So I'm a I'm a very very you know big fan of this pick, and I think Spurs fans uh, should be very very happy with this selection. 
Absolutely. And just to sort of touch on some of the last things that I think he's going to be good at in the league or some of his strengths coming into the NBA, I think he's a high-level processor, right? He has really high feel for the game. His assist numbers, right, was like 1.3 or 1.5 assists per game. I don't think that's indicative of how good of a passer he is. You know, he was a guy who, you know, coach, you know, Scott Drew over there at, at Baylor said, you know, I used him as a point guard. He played all five positions for us. He ran pick and roll possessions. I would have loved to see him more out of, you know, dribble handoffs. I would have loved to see his short roll passing ability as a roll man, right? He only had 25 possessions all season as a roll man. And I'd actually love to see what he can do as a finisher, as a roll man. He finished nearly 70% of his shots in the half court at the rim this season. So clearly he's a very good finisher, mostly below the rim guy, but a lot of touch, really crafty, uses his length. I, I just, for me, the question marks are going to be, you know, again, can he shoot? So we don't know that yet. The indicators are not good, but he gets to work with Chip England. The other question is, not only will he shoot, but can he score? You know, can he score off the dribble? Really stiff off the dribble, doesn't look that good. You know, he can beat some guys off the dribble in a straight line drive, but again, doesn't have the quickest first step, doesn't have the most lift. I don't see a lot of self-creation for him. He had almost 70% of his shots created by his teammates this season, or assisted rather. So there are question marks, but at nine in the draft, this is about as good as a pick as I think you can go. So, Dane, before we move on to our next guy, if you had to give the Spurs a grade for this pick, what would you give it? Ooh, that's a great question. Pro- probably like an A-, minus, man. I mean, realistically, I'm just thinking, looking back at the draft. I'd say an A, to be honest, because I don't know, um, other than Jalen Duran, who are you going to take there, right? Like, you're going to take Osman. Like, I like Osman Jiang, but... I, you know, I was terrified to say that the Spurs are going to take him at nine. I was like, I don't think they should, honestly, if Sohan is there, you know what I mean? Or Duran is there. Like, it's kind of, and I'm not even the biggest Duran guy, but I'm like, man, I, I think an A is fine. I don't, I don't see how they could have done anything else. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's an A. Now, before, again, I know I said before we move on, I need a grade, but there are just a few things I want to <laughs> hit on here before we fully move on to the next player. What do you think his role looks like with the Spurs? Like in year one, how often is he playing? Do you think he goes to the G League? If he's in Austin, how long is he there? Because I, I, I put a poll up there or I put a tweet out there from our Alamo City Limits account. We have some people, you know, send us some questions in. And that was some of the questions that they had for every single prospect. So I think we should at least answer that to the best of our ability. So we'll start with you. How often or, or do you think he's going to be in Austin? How long will he be there? And then what does his role look like in the NBA with the Spurs this season? I don't think he's in Austin very long, man, to be honest. I think he's someone I, I'm, He's someone that I've kind of said from the jump that I think he can play for you in a small role, maybe 16 to 18 minutes, a smaller role like that uh, off the bench. And really just be, I, I like how you mentioned, actually, I'm going to allude, you know, finish my point, but I like how you mentioned that you think he could be a playmaking hub out of the post or just in general. And I think that, Man, for for a guy like Jeremy Sohan to just be be someone that can offer something new, something fresh for this offense. That really, I mean, they don't run a lot of isolation. They run, I think, the most pick and roll possessions in the NBA. Right? Uh, if they can get something different from that, somewhat with a little bit of gravity out out of the post as a passer, right? I think that would be huge for them. So I think you know Sohan's role out of the gate would be off the bench, probably 16, 17 minutes. You know, once he does make it to the NBA level, really just as a at, coming coming with. De- you know, defensive-minded kind of skill set right out of the gate, defending you know player, you know opposing team's best players, uh, you know on the second unit. And honestly, Noah, I think we're going to see a guy that 
really embodies what the Spurs have kind of been known for when it comes to just moving the ball around, you know, cut cut into the basket, anything like that. I think Sohan's going to just embody all of what Coach Pop loves, <laughs> to be honest. That's not to say he's going to be a, an all-star or anything like that, but I think definitely he fits, he checks so many boxes for what, you know, we consider to be the Spurs way. Yeah, he fills a position of need, power forward, or whatever you want to call it. He's a front court position next to Jakob Pertl. They really needed that. I don't think he'll start right away. I also don't think he's going to spend a single minute in the G League. For me, he's a, a player who, as we mentioned, a little bit more NBA ready. He has a really high feel for the game. He's a really good cutter. The shooting isn't there, and like that'll probably limit his ability to attack closeouts. That probably limits his value in terms of stretching the floor. Like The floor is going to shrink a lot if you have him next to Jakob Pertl, which is why I don't think they're going to start together. But as you mentioned, you know, 16 to 18, maybe even 20 minutes per game off the bench. I think that's perfect for a guy like Jeremy Sohan. And I think when you look back at this pick, we're going to say like either one of two things. We're either going to say, oh, this was a really great pick. He ended up being, you know, way better than we thought he was going to be. He learned how to shoot. And now he's a you know high-level starter, fringe all-star. We're going to look back at this and just say, yeah, he was a solid player. And I think both of those scenarios are really good because neither of those include, oh, this guy was an absolute bust. I just don't feel that about him. I don't see that just with his feel for the game, with the skills that he already has. So we can kind of move on to the next guy. You know, we've talked a lot about Jeremy Sohan. We talked about him on past podcasts at least two or three times during this draft season. So we'll move on to the next guy, a guy who we haven't talked about on the podcast before, but we've definitely done research on him. Watched a lot of game films. So next up for the Spurs, they took Ohio State freshman guard Malachi Branham with the 20th overall pick in the 2022 NBA draft. And a few fans were upset with this pick. But to be honest, as we talked about earlier, Brian Wright really held true to his word that San Antonio was going to go best player available regardless of fit, regardless of position. So what were your first impressions when you heard the selection? And then how much do you agree with the philosophy that the Silver and Black followed up to this point in the draft of really just selecting best player available. Did you agree with that? Oh, no, I do agree. And a uh, funny side note right now, Terry McLaurin just accepted a, a $71 million contract for the Commanders, literally like in the middle of this podcast. That's why I was checking my phone because <laughs> I was like, uh, what? I looked down, I was like, okay, that's interesting. You know, I, I write about them too. So I was like, that's cool. But anyways, uh, yeah, Malachi Brandon was the guy that I felt, man, right out of the gate, I think the first tweet I said was, he can put the orange thing in the orange thing. I mean, just straight up, man, when it comes to, you know, just scoring the basketball, especially self-creation, I think he's a guy that, you know, he's one of the better ones in this class. And that's another thing, Noah, that you and I discussed. Shot creation was a huge need, especially, in you know, obviously in the half court. And this is a guy that, you know, he ranked in the 87 percentile from the short mid-range area. He created, you know, 81.8% of his non-rim two-point field goals, which that's really impressive. I didn't know that until today. That's very, very impressive. Not only that, too. Out of the pick and roll, he scored, uh, he shot 53 of 89, which about close to 60%, ranking in the 95th percentile. Out of other guys in this draft that I thought were good out of the pick and roll, like Jalen Williams uh, and other players, he he looked fantastic. I mean, he 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 truly looks very. I don't know if, no, if I, I say the word polished too much when it comes to these guys. I know that's kind of a really you know that's that's a really bold thing to say, but I think as a scorer, man, someone you know offensively. He has a really solid feel for uh, feel for the game in the half court, and as a pure scorer, I think he knows how to get into his motion, get into his shots. You know, his spots relatively easy, relatively quick. Looks very comfortable with the ball in his hands, and I think for San Antonio, man, they definitely stuck to their philosophy of BPA. They definitely stuck to their also, in my opinion, they stuck to honestly getting what they really need 
regardless of the position, like you mentioned, BPA. But not only that, too, they knew what they need. This was this was not a draft where, you know, kind of like the Kings where they're just picking random stuff, right? <laughs> they're just it's kind of like weird fit and BPA, like kind of weird. The Spurs were like, no, we need shot creation. No, we need modern skill sets. We need versatility. What are the guys that encompass all of that that we can take right now? And Malachi Branham, I, I feel, was, was, was a home run selection. Yeah, no, I, I really liked Malachi Branham. He was 17th on my big board. I think he was like a fringe lottery talent. So the fact that they were able to get him at 20, I think tremendous upside. As you mentioned, a guy who really good out of the pick and roll, super efficient out of the pick and roll. He gets to his spots with ease. He's really good at navigating screens, getting to his spots, trapping guys on his back, uh, you know, elevates really nicely on his jumpers. He has a 6'10 wingspan, you know, really high release, doesn't get his shots blocked often. I think the one thing that I am worried a little bit about is, yeah, he has some self-creation ability, I guess, with the assistance of screens because he's a very methodical driver, very slow, you know, never gets sped up, is not going to blow by anybody. But I think when I look at him as an isolation scorer, potentially, or even really like attacking closeouts, the thing that sort of worries me about Malachi Branham, and we're going to kind of oscillate between strengths and weaknesses to just sort of be fair with all these prospects, is his first step, not that great, like relatively slow off the dribble. Also not a guy who really like plays above the rim either. And you watched his games at Ohio State. Even when guys were closing out on him a little bit recklessly and he was able to, you know, throw a pump fake at him in the air, or maybe they just were closing out too aggressively and they, they got too close to him and he blows by them, he wasn't able to maintain that advantage. Guys caught back up to him, they were able to contest the shot, or they were forced him to do that like sort of Nash dribble where you go all the way around and, you know, kind of pop out on the other end. So that worries me a little bit. And then off the dribble, like people he he does need to add strength really for purposes on both ends of the court but guys were able to knock him off his course on straight line drives he has a decent ball handling ability like he's not going to get the ball ripped from him but it's not that dynamic of a ball handling package at the moment so there are some things that you look at and go you know modern player in the sense that you know he can he can score at I think two levels he's a good three-point shooter standstill shooter but I have questions about his upside on offense and if it makes up for his deficiency on the defensive end which we'll get into in a little bit yeah, I have I have a I have a quick uh, quick question for you. So, whenever we talk about these players, uh, their upsides as scores or or whatever the case may be, how much of that do you do you um, really like hinge on like athletic ability? Because you know a common theme is athleticism equates to upside, right? You're a great athlete, you have a ton of upside. Do you think a guy like Branham maybe that kind of hurts him a little bit or? Whenever you whenever you mention that, what are you what are you specifically pointing to? Yeah, I think you can be a really good like straight line athlete or not necessarily that you don't have yeah. any wiggle, but you're really fast, but you don't have a ton of lift. Like so think Tony Parker. Like he wasn't dunking on anybody, yeah. but he was so incredibly fast that he was able to get to spots, beat people, been a defense. Like Malachi Branham doesn't really own that. And so when I think of like athleticism, I think some parts of your athleticism matter. Obviously, guys like Luka Doncic who you know, they're not really fast, but they've got quick twitch reactions. They've got a lot of w wiggle in their game. There's somebody who can stop on a dime, and they're really good at decelerating. I think that's a trait that Malachi Branham does have, right? He's really good at decelerating, stopping on a dime, really hard gather, loses guys in that way, but just doesn't generate a ton of space. You know, his shot, like, off the dribble sort of breaks down the further you get away from the basket. And one of the things that I thought was really crucial when watching his film was, yeah, he finished well at the rim. I, I believe it was like 66 to 67% at the rim in the half court. 
But his bigs at Ohio State, including a guy like EJ Liddell, who I think everybody really liked here on the podcast, yeah. they were yep. really good. And you see this with Yaka Yaka Pirtle, Nikola Vucevic, Joel Embiid, really good at sealing the rim protector so that if you beat your guy off the dribble, there you go. You don't have to worry about the rim protector. You're finishing at the rim. And it almost felt like he was like too dependent on that to finish at the rim because when he was met with length at the rim, when he was met by better athletes, he didn't really finish that well at the rim in those scenarios. So those things sort of give me a cause for pause. But generally speaking, I think that he's going to be able to be a threat as a catch-and-shoot guy, as a guy who can create his own shot in the mid-range to a degree using screens. So I don't have a ton of worries. It's just how valuable is he as an offensive player that on the other end, which I think he's actually really weak on the other end, will it make up for that? Because we see in the NBA, I mean, that's a question you have to ask for every playoff team. Can you play this guy off the court in the playoffs? And for me, the answer, at least right now, is yes. He's not a guy who you probably want to leave out there very long in the playoffs. He's a guy who is absolutely going to get hunted. So, I don't know. It's a question worth thinking about. Yeah, I I think the interesting thing, too, is so he has, like, the size, you know, strength, wingspan of 6'10". You know, you would think there'd be some versatility there and just some effectiveness, right, as a defender. But it hasn't really translated, right? Like, I don't really know I don't really know what to expect from him as a defender. Because, obviously, in the, in the NBA, team defense is, is, is just about everything, in my opinion, right? So, for a team like San Antonio that already struggles defensively and they rely on Yaka Pirtle for everything. <laughs> how how is this going to, you know, how is this going to fit? How is this going to work? I do think and I, or at least I hope that maybe he'd be a guy that you would see in Austin, maybe that would kind of help him out a little bit on that end cuz I mean, just like uh, I forgot who we had on the show, but he mentioned that typically man rookies in general, the NBA defense, you know, just picking up NBA defenses so difficult for them in year 1. So I'm not expecting him to to make that super megastar leap as a defender, right? But I think the big thing that I'm just going to be looking for and really paying close attention to, whether he's in Austin or in San Antonio, is the big thing that I always mention, man. It's just comfort. The ability to know that you can see that he's present, he's conscious, he's aware of where he's at. And regardless of the mistakes he's going to make, because he will make them, is he able to bounce back from that? Because these, all of these guys, none of them are perfect, like you mentioned. And they will all have some duds. <laughs> all of them will, right? So I think for me, if he, if he's... Not as good of a perimeter defender, but he's an excellent, maybe a team defender, you know, when it comes to rotations, communication, anything like that. It can make up for it a little bit, but like you mentioned as well, when the sausage is being made, can you, you know, have him out there in the playoffs or, you know, in big time moments? And you would hope with a couple of years, you know, in the Spurs system that he could actually become that kind of player. Yeah. And I think for me, just looking at what he did at Ohio State, I would say, a good deal of it was just the effort kind of fluctuated from possession to possession. But also, he just, again, as we mentioned, he doesn't have, like, the quickest first step. I think that sort of also translated to the other end where just didn't have a lot of lateral mobility once he was beat. Really had a hard time fighting back to get into the play. You know, guys could beat him off quick rips on, uh, you know, when he, when he was closing out. And I think one of his biggest problems was there's just, like, some small fundamental things that he does wrong, like... You look on on closeouts, he just plays really upright, you know, and if you're standing upright, I mean, you've heard the saying like hands down, man down, like if you're not down in a defensive possession with your hands out, you're going to get beat. And for a guy that's already at a disadvantage athletically, if you're going to be standing upright, they're going to go by you every single time. So that's one of the things that sort of 
that's a huge question mark for me. And then some of the other like fundamental areas of the game, I mean, screen navigation just really died on a lot of screens, had a hard time getting back into the play. You know, one of the other things I think that he absolutely won't be able to do from day one is chase shooters around screens. You know, some guys are really good at chasing shooters around the court, but he's not very good at fighting through screens at the moment. And I don't want this to become like, you know, get down on Malachi Branham. Again, I really like him. I just look at some of the things he did and like falls for pump fakes, a guy who needs to get better in a lot of areas. I mean, just not great awareness as a team defender, didn't tag cutters or roll men, was late on rotations, didn't always communicate on switches. I mean, not even just standing upright on closeouts, but standing upright in general, you know, on or off the ball. I just think there's a long way to go before he's going to even be a serviceable serviceable defender. And I think that's all you're really hoping for with him, you know, at some point. So he's a guy who will answer the question, is he going to be in Austin? I think so. I think he will be in Austin for at least part of the year. Maybe they bring him up, but I just don't see him making a big impact. Though I would really like to see him with the second unit. I want to see what he can do because he is a pretty good self-creator regardless of some of the athletic limitations. And he's a guy who's a relatively good playmaker out of the pick and roll. You know, not as good as maybe Jalen Williams or a guy like Ryan Rollins or even some of the other guards who are higher in this class. But he can make basic reads. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. So we'll we'll see how long he's there. But what are your thoughts on that? I mean... Do you think he's going to be in Austin? Will he be there long? What is his role with the Spurs? I mean, there's a lot of questions to answer. Yeah, I think I think he'll definitely be there long term. No, well, not like for like two years, but I think he and the next guy we're going to talk about <laughs> are going to be there uh, for you know a, a decent a decent bit. And I think it's fine, right? I think the big deal, what like we mentioned with whether it was Primo or whomever the Spurs are, are you know taking. If you have, if you envision, you know, their upside or, or you draft them for a specific reason, whether it's shot creation or you think they can be a secondary creator or whatever the case may be, if they're not able to get those touches at the professional level, then why not send them to Austin so they can get those touches at the G League level, at the developmental level, right? AHL hockey players have to play with NHL hockey players to get better. It's the same thing, you know, with a lot of these younger guys that sometimes they don't get afforded that opportunity because of the organization they go to. But if you're a team like the Spurs that has these you know these assets or they, they know how to utilize it then do it right like there's no big deal here and, and i know some fans are going to scoff at that maybe roll their eyes at it but quite frankly guys this team ain't going to compete anytime soon right so there's no reason to rush right you don't rush perfection okay so let's just kind of sit here let's let's take a breather and i think i would love to see him in austin no and i think that's probably the, the route that you know he'll take for the bulk of his rookie year And just real quick, we don't usually do this on the podcast, but we got some breaking news. Former San Antonio Spurs assistant coach Will Hardy was just hired by the Utah Jazz to be their new head coach Ah. following the departure of Quinn Schneider. So congrats to him. Greg Popovich's uh, coaching tree continues to expand. So we'll see how that works. We'll see where they go. But back to the draft content here. One of the last questions I have for you, and we're going to do this for every single prospect. What grade are you giving this pick? I'd give it, I'd give it a, give it an A minus, right? Because where are you gonna? Wait, really, realistically, I don't know where else you could have gone, right? Because uh, Laravia, Laravia went at nineteen, right? Yeah, Jake Laravia was at nineteen. You still, you could have gotten Nikola Jovich, but I liked Malachi Branham personally, so I would give them another A minus, man. I don't think it's a, it was a bad pick at all. 
Yeah, I think I'm going to probably go with an A for this one. One of the other things that I think that the Spurs sneakily kind of got from Branham was one of the better shooters in this class. Like you look at his indicators, you know, free throw percentage, three point percentage, touch on floaters, all elite, all in the top, you know, 10th percentile on every single one of those in college basketball. And I know we didn't really mention it too much, but this is a guy who came in at the beginning of the season. He was not that great for Ohio State. You know, it's like seven points per game on pretty bad efficiency. They went on this COVID hiatus because they had a bunch of cases and outbreak within the team. When they came back, 35 points in the very first game back. And from that point on, averaged nearly 20 points per game. Over 54% from the field. More than 43% from three. More than 82% from the free throw line. And he's a guy who knocked down 44% of his spot-up three-point shot. So... I think he has a lot of shooting potential. I actually see, you know, sneakily think that the Spurs did a really good job here. Again, like, is he a guy who his offense can outweigh his defensive shortcomings? Maybe not right now, but he is just like the last guy, 19 years old. I mean, they're going to have all the time in the world to be patient with these guys. And they've already got Josh Primo, Devin Vassell, at least for now, Lonnie Walker, though they haven't extended him the qualifying offer, so that could mean by the end of today that he's an unrestricted free agent. So we'll see what they do there, but... I think all in all, really, really good pick. And we'll move on to the final guy who they took in the first round. Last but not least, Pop in the front office landed on Notre Dame freshman guard Blake Wesley with the 25th overall pick. And again, there was some discontent from Spurs fans adding another guard to an already crowded backcourt after reports that, you know, they might package these picks, move up in the draft, move up in the lottery. But I think deals are just so much more complex in practice than they are in theory than, you know, me and you or even fans just going on the trade machine. Like, they're not as easy as it seems. So, in your mind, where did you ultimately settle once this pick was announced? I mean, how did you really feel about it? Because I think out of all three picks, this was the one that was maybe the most controversial, even if you can say that. Yeah, I think for me, I actually really liked the Blake Wesley selection. I mocked him to the Spurs back in, what was it, early June when I wrote a mock draft on Pounding the Rock. I had him, the Spurs taking him at 20. Uh, he ended up going 25. I just think for me, again, now, hold on, let me go back to this as well. What, a couple podcasts ago, I mentioned how DeJounte Murray has been a comp for a plethora of guards that are, you know, about 6'4", 6'5", you know, long arms, you know, high defensive upside, kind of work in progress offensively, but have shown flashes. Blake Wesley, that was like one of the main guys I saw comp to DeJounte Murray was was Blake Wesley. And uh, it's interesting because I actually think that, that Wesley's a guy who's, who's, in my opinion, a superb athlete. I really like his athletic tools. He's 6'4 with a 6'9 wingspan. Really, really like just the ability to score at a volume level because he showed some flashes doing that as well. I think he's a project pick. I think he's a guy that, you know, don't expect to come out and, you know, in year one and, you know, play at a high level or offer very much to you but he's a guy that really does just offer a lot of upside as a scorer and I think defensively his motor was out of this world man I mean he's a guy that I feel can can event create can really just play some sound defense and uh especially along the perimeter like we were just mentioning how DeJounte were, were kind of like not necessarily iffy but we can kind of break his uh, his, his defense down a little bit for a guy like Wesley I think he's someone that truly also can be a really solid, you know, defender, defending, you know, one, twos, maybe even some threes, depending on the lineup, and really give them a, a hard time, a hard night. So I think the Spurs, they, they, they 
they had another really good night, a really good pick in my opinion. And I'm gonna jump the gun and you know already give you my grade. I gave it a B plus, man. I I really like this pick and I like Wesley as a prospect too. Well, since you gave your grade early, I'll go ahead and give mine. I'm not as high on it. I would give it a B minus only for the reason that. You know, you look back at my big board, and of course, my big board is not like the the be all end all be all for everything draft. But you know, Nikola Jovic was still on the board, so was Jaden Hardy, Ryan Rollins, Kendall Brown, Ty Ty Washington, all of whom I had higher on my board than Blake Wesley. And I think for Blake Wesley, we'll get into some of his strengths, but in terms of areas improvement, the things that really stood out to me as like. This is definitely a project pick, and this is a guy who could go really either way. He could end up being a success story, or there's a good chance that he could also end up being a guy who you know, people forget in a few years because he just didn't work out. You look at his numbers during his freshman season, and they weren't good. You know, The efficiency numbers weren't good. He shot almost exactly 40% from the field, almost exactly 30% from three, he shot 62.5% from the free throw line. And I think the number one thing that really scares me about Blake Wesley is one of the things you said is, you know, superb athlete. I agree. I think he's a guy who's really fast straight line once he gets ahead of steam. But he doesn't have a ton of lift. Like, he can get up when he has a runway, but he's not a guy who's going to rise up in a crowd. And one of the things he really, really struggled with was finishing at the rim. Now, we'll play a game that we haven't played in a while where I kind of ask you a question and you give me your best answer. If you had to guess how well he finished at the rim in the half court, so not in transition, just in the half court this season, where would you guess, just based on sort of the context clues I'm giving you right now? Probably in the bottom 10 percentile. Okay, what, what do you think, like, in terms of percentage-wise? Like, did he finish, you know, 60% of his shots, 50, 40, 30? Like, oh, no, like, like 40. Yeah. He finished in the bottom 11th percentile in all of college basketball. <laughs> only shot 41.4% at the rim. Really bad with his left hand. Had a ton of his shots blocked. And he's a guy who I think when he gets the first step on someone, he can finish at the rim. He can get there. He struggles against length. But he's also pretty slight of frame. Like I think he'll be able to fill that frame out. But guys were able to make him sort of drive really wide or try to finish with his inside hand and he just didn't show a lot of touch there. And the other indicators, again, like I think he had moments. Like he had a game where he made six of 11 threes. He had a few games where he made four threes. But he also finished the year six straight games without making a single three on more than three attempts. It's just such a streaky guy, you know, can get to his spots, looks smooth, but it's the functionality of it. Like, great, you can get to your spots. Great, you, you know, you look good in transition. Great, you have the tools to do things. But right now it's mostly tools and not a lot of solid production. And I think that's the only thing that really worries me. Of course, like take an upside swing. It's the 25th pick who really cares, but I think there were better options there, but I'm not going to say I'm out on this pick. I do like Blake Wesley. I think if you're going to take a project player and you want to bet on a developmental system, really getting the most out of someone, then you look at the track record that San Antonio has over the last two decades and you can't really be mad. I mean, they've done wonders with a lot of really big question mark players who were project players. So just wanted to sort of leave that thought for you and see what you think about it. Yeah, no. And well, another thing for me too, because since we're on this topic, the big, the big swing factor for me too, it's like a little thing. I wouldn't say like it's going to determine whether he's a all-star or not, but uh, the fact that he shot 33% on floaters, that worries me a good bit. Uh, We were just talking about, you know, out of the pick and roll with teams running so much drop coverage. I feel like for guards, especially operating out of the pick and roll, you need to have a floater. I think that's a must in, in, in this in the modern NBA. 
And if he's unable to get that, you know, we talk about something like his pick and roll upside or what can he do, you know, when it comes to actually having gravity with the ball in his hands. If you don't have a floater, you don't have the ability to score at that second level out of the pick and roll, especially, you know, how much upside do you really have? You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, especially for a team like San Antonio that runs, you know, at a frequency, what, 40, 40 percent pick and roll or 50. It's like something a, like that. Yeah. yeah it's, it's really it's some high. Outra- yeah. Some outrageous number. Like, you know, th- that's something that I that I worry about that I, that I definitely have a concern about. But I think, you know, similar to, to a guy in the NFL like Malik Willis or whatever your favorite NBA prospect is. There's a lot of tools there, right? It's it's a it's a ball of clay. It, we have we have noodles, we have the we have the sauce, we have the the fried chicken. We just need to make chicken parma. We we don't have it right now, right? You got to cook it. You got to put it in the oven, Noah. So we're gonna see what happens. I think for a guy like Blake Wesley, there's a lot of there's a lot of swing factors. There's a lot of things that you really need him to kind of improve on to maximize that upside and make the most sense out of it. But like you mentioned too, it's a twenty five. It's a twenty fifth pick, man. Like if if he's if you miss on the twenty fifth pick. You know, how upset can a fan base really get, right? Like, let's be honest here, you know? So, I feel overall, man, I think it was a solid pick. And you gave it, what did you, a B minus? I gave right? it a that B minus just because there are other guys who I liked better. But I, I'm, I'm not out on the pick. Again, I, I'm, I'm confident that the Spurs can try to get the most out of this guy because they've done it before with other guys. So, I trust them. So, I guess if we're if we're done here with Wesley, unless you wanted to talk about maybe him playing in Austin, but I would I would both assume we both think he's going to spend yeah, his he's, entire year in he's Austin. He's going to play in Austin. There's only a few things I wanted to hit yeah, on go with ahead. him. Go ahead. One of the things we didn't really hit on was his playmaking as a pick-and-roll passer. Now, he's another one of those guys who the assist numbers weren't super high, but the flashes, there were some really high-end flashes. A guy who was able to make live dribble passes out of the pick and roll to corner shooters to perimeter shooters to you know he can hit the roll man over the top he had a few nice you know entry bounce passes that i like just as you know simple read stuff nothing like super advanced though there were again there were some high end flashes and one of the things that i really like that i could envision him doing you know san antonio hasn't really run a lot of this play recently but i don't know if you're familiar with it the hammer play where basically there's a screen down the baseline that gets a shooter open in the corner and the there's a guy who goes downhill right and they throw a pass all the way down the baseline to the corner. We haven't really seen a lot of that, but he made a lot of those types of passes at Notre Dame, one-handed, right, left hand, really accurate. Now, like maybe not like top-tier accuracy, but like got it close enough to the shooting pocket that you know the guy's going to be able to catch it and make it. So I really like him in that regard. I think he's got some real passing upside if his gravity as a scorer improves as he becomes more efficient. And the last thing that I'll mention with him is the shooting, right? We talk about it with all these guys. The number one thing that's really going to be the swing factor for him and Jeremy Sohan, not so much Malachi Branham, because I think Malachi is going to be one of the best shooters from this class, but he's got to fix the jumper. You know, we talked about Sohan looks like he's got a catapult. This is a guy who, for whatever reason, if he catches the ball on the right side of his body, does like a full circular motion to get back into his shot. And once it's up there, you know, it, it looks fine when he has space, but he, he takes a huge rhythm dip. Like, it's really low, dips it to his hip, that circular motion. Like, there's just a lot of extra, like, stuff that doesn't need to be wasted there. Movement. Exactly. Yeah. The wasted movement that yeah. doesn't need to be there. And, and again, I know it's a cop-out, but if there's a guy who can fix that for, you know, Jeremy Sohan's problems and then a guy like uh, Blake Wesley who has different problems, I think it's Chip, so... Hopefully they can figure that out. All of these guys, as I don't know if we talked about Blake Wesley in this way, but they're all 19 years old. They're all 19 years old, and they're all all three of them 
are going to be 19 years old the entire season unless the Spurs get to like the conference finals. I don't think they're going to get there. But, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, those are just the last things I wanted to say because I felt like they're just important little tidbits for Spurs fans to kind of pick up on or, or know as, as they get to know these prospects. Yeah, if Blake Wesley starts running the, the doing the Manu special with the hammer pass, man, we might have something special <laughs> on our hands, bro. <laughs> but, you know, of course, the Spurs, you know, they weren't done on draft night. You know, as they signed overtime elite forward Dominic Barlow to a two-way contract, they also signed undrafted free agents Jordan Hall, Darius Days, Kyler Edwards, Anthony Polite, uh, Sasha, St- um, Noah, I'm going to butcher that name. So Sasha Stefanovic, you got it. There you go. Uh, and Josh Carlton to exhibit 10 contracts as they look to fill out their Las Vegas, Las Vegas Summer League roster. I cannot wait for the Summer League, Noah. I'm sorry. I, I, I just can't wait for it. But uh, we won't go through all those players in depth, but let's go ahead and do a, uh, you know, a quick hitter on, on three of our favorites. I want to start with you, though. I want to ask, you know, who do you got? Yeah, my favorite guys out of that group. Easily, Dominic Barlow is the number one guy. He was 50th on my big board. I was ecstatic that he did not get drafted and the Spurs picked him up. And then the other two guys, Jordan Hall, 58th on my big board. Love that pickup for the Spurs. I think he's a guy who... Who knows? He could earn himself a two-way contract by the end of Summer League. And then the last guy, Darius Day, is kind of a glue guy. We'll talk about all these guys a little bit more, but those are my three favorite. Do you have three favorite? Does it look different than mine, or is it the same as me? It'll look the same, but for me, man, I think Jordan Hall was like arguably my favorite just because I love the playmaking. And, and quite frankly, man, growing up, I didn't appreciate a guy like Kyle Anderson, right? But now that I'm an adult... <laughs> I appreciate that skill set, right? <laughs> like at the 3-4, right? Even Does Kyle Anderson play small ball 5, Noah? Do you know? I don't think he does no? very often. No, no. not very often. I didn't often, watch but, enough Grizzlies three, four, back to but, basketball but th- to know. Yeah, but 3-4 as a playmaker and a defender, dude, Kyle Anderson is like beautiful for like every team that wants to win games, bro. And so I think for me, Jordan Hall, I love that player comp, and I'm not even a big player comp guy, but I just see so much just like Kyle Anderson in his game that I think Jordan Hall could be a guy that, you know, he could get a two-way and, and really be, you know, moving on up and down. I would love to see him play uh, not only in the Summer League, but who knows, maybe in Austin, maybe, you know, a couple games in San Antonio, depending on how the season goes, right? Like, I, I think that's my, my favorite pick out of these three. Yeah, Jordan Hall's a good one. I mean, I, I would agree. I think he definitely has shades of Kyle Anderson. The only thing that he really differs from Kyle Anderson, and they're two pretty huge areas, but one, the rim finishing is pretty bad. Like, just not a very good athlete, yeah. but he also doesn't have the length that Kyle Anderson has. Like, Kyle Anderson, much like uh, Luka Doncic or some of the other guys who are not great, you know, in terms of speed and verticality, but really good deceleration, Jordan Hall doesn't really have that. And the other thing, on a more positive note, he's a pretty good three-point shooter. You know, he self-created most of his three-point attempts, and he shot, I think, almost 36% from three, which is pretty respectable considering, you know, he, he made most of that from scratch. So I like him. There's a reason that I had him on my big board in the top 60, and I think that's tremendous value. I'd love to see him get a two-way, but hey, you know, maybe they reserve that spot for, you know, DJ Stewart Jr. or even Robert Woodard II, who... I think are both going to be on San Antonio's Summer League roster. So we'll see. He's definitely going to get a chance to compete. But the other two guys, is there anything that stood out to you about them that you liked a lot? Well, the first thing the first thing that I'll say is it seems like Dominic Barlow is going to be a guy who I feel like embodies what I've said the Spurs need when it comes to versatility. I think he's a guy that basically <laughs> is like exactly that, right? Versatile on both ends of the floor, especially as a defender. I think... I think you said Darius Days is a glue guy. I think Barlow also has some traits that also can kind of translate to being a glue guy as well. 
And uh, shout out to Rafael Barlow, because now every time I see that last name, he's the person I always think about. <laughs> but yeah, no, I actually do like him, though, and I feel like he's a very versatile player. And Noah, am I crazy? I mean, we're going to say something about Darius Days here, but man, I feel like the Spurs listened to the Alamo City Limits podcast before they went and drafted and, and picked up these guys. Because Noah, every guy that they picked, we can we literally can sit back and say, yeah, that actually makes a ton of sense when you look at this team. <laughs> yeah, no, I loved all these picks. I thought they did a really phenomenal job. And we'll grade the overall draft at the end here, yeah. but there's not a lot of complaints for me. Again, like these are guys who, again, like my my big board is not like the god of all big boards. I've, you know, hit and missed on guys before, but just based on who I had, you know, getting the guy who I had 24th, 17th, 10th, 50th, 58th, and you only had three picks in the draft. That's really, really tremendous value. I think they did a phenomenal job of identifying talent. And as you mentioned, guys who are super versatile, who offer long-term upside potentially. And, you know, we can talk about Dominic Barlow a little bit because he is a guy who I really like. So if if you want to talk about him a little bit or if you want me to talk about him, let me know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put me on, man. Let me hear about him. Dominic Barlow, overtime elite guy. This was the first season where we had guys drafted out of overtime elite. You know, it's not... It's not G League competition. It's kind of closer to high school competition, but he's a guy 14.8 points per game, around six rebounds per game, shot almost 40% from three, you know, kind of closer to 36, 37% from three on good volume and moves really well. Like, I think I said this maybe in another podcast. It might have been mine. It might have been another one that we're not on, but he is, in my opinion, a top five front court athlete in this class, really fluid, moves his feet well, has switchability. And he can be a lob threat, too. I just think this is a guy who, yeah, the fundamentals are going to be something he's got to work on. There's a reason he went undrafted. He is a big upside swing with a relatively low floor. But, man, if you hit on this guy, you've got a floor-spacing power forward who can catch lobs, who can defend multiple positions. And he even showed a little bit of self-creation ability off the dribble from three. Like... Those are all really, really intriguing skills that, again, they're flashes right now, but if they pan out to be more than that and it's consistent production and you're getting that, you know, in spurts on a nightly basis off the bench, man, that's a really, really valuable player. So I love Dominic Barlow. And again, 19 years old, that's four 19 year olds in one class. Like the Spurs really went upside youth and I love it. I'm not going to lie. I love that. (laughs) Yeah, no, I agree with you, man. I think, I think for me, the biggest thing that stood out to me was just the versatility. Like, when I watched him play, it was really just versatility. Like, I can't stop saying it. Like, that was the big deal for me. We mentioned Jordan Hall. We mentioned Dominic Barlow. The one guy that I was kind of, like, didn't really know very much about was Darius Days. And I would love for you to tell me a little bit about him because he seems like a guy that, you know, can be, a, a, a like you mentioned, a glue guy, a 3 and D kind of player. Not the best athlete, but kind of really solid. Not not necessarily Jake LaRavia in terms of, uh, you know, jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none. But a very uh, a very solid you know kind of sound basketball player. What do you what do you think about him? Yeah, I like Darius Days. He wasn't on my top sixty big board. I had him in a category of the rest of the field. He was sort of higher in that category. If if I continued to extend the big board, he would have been something like seventy first. Which, you know, I think at that point in the draft, he's twenty three years old. He's kind of a tweener. You know, he's six seven. He played a lot of five for LSU. He's probably a four. Can maybe play a little bit of three. I think. It's a little awkward because I think he can guard, you know, bigger guys, right? He has the frame, the strength, um, you know, the length to really bang bodies with front court players. But 
once you start getting past like small forwards, bigger wings, I'm not so sure he's going to be able to to really handle those guys. And then on the other end, like a guy does the dirty work, right? Got a ton of offensive rebounds, a ton of second chance points, was able to tip the ball out to teammates, just extend possessions, keep possessions alive. Good three-point shooter, kind of streaky, but like 36, 37% on good volume. Not much of a mid-range shooter. You know, good finisher in transition. He struggled a little bit at the rim, you know, trying to post up. And I don't think that's something that they're going to ask him to do in the NBA. But overall, I think a good pickup. He's intriguing to me in that I think if he kind of refines his ball handling a little bit, if he can maybe develop a little bit more playmaking fill and maybe just drop a little bit of weight. He's not like heavy set or anything, but just to maybe increase his mobility a little bit. This is a guy who you're looking at who can come off the bench, maybe give you like 15, 16, 17 minutes, maybe not year one, but year two or year three. I just think he is a guy who has a relatively high floor. It's just, I don't really see much upside, but hey, not everybody has to be an upside swing. So a good pickup for the Spurs. I want to see how he does in Las Vegas. I'm really excited for summer league. So we'll see how he plays there and how they decide to utilize him. Well, I think this is a good, a good point to ask this, you know, before we close everything out. I want to hear your grade, man. What what's the grade <laughs> that you're going to hand out, you know, Brian Wright in the front office for their performance in the 2022 NBA draft, man? Let me hear it. Yeah, I think people are probably going to think I'm a little tough on them, but I do tend to be a little bit tougher in general. I'm going to go ahead and give them a B plus. I think to get an A or even an A minus, you really had to have hit every single pick out of the park. It had to have been perfect. And of course, like we're probably not going to know really how they did for a few years, but just from day one, big board stuff, fit, upside. I, I really think that they deserve a B plus, getting close to an A. But there's not a lot of complaints. We'll see how it pans out in a few years. But Dame, what do you give them? I mean, you don't have to give them the same grade I did. I'm really curious to see where you are on this. I'm a good college professor, man. So I'm going to give them an 89 and a <laughs> half. And since I'm a good professor, I rounded up to an A minus. That's that's literally what I was thinking was like 89 and a half is what I'm giving. But yeah, I, I would give them an 89 and a half. I, I definitely get the logic, though, because I mean, it, I, I feel like the only way you can get an A is if you get like you uh, 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 not not a bona fide superstar, but someone you know, like hey, he's gonna be an all star. Is very close to it, right? Like you know, without a doubt. And they didn't get anyone like that per se, but they definitely got guys that fit exactly what I've been, you know, banging the table for, you know, forever. It seems like right versatility at the four, modern skill sets, and every mock draft. You know, I, I think I only wrote two or three of them for Pound of the Rock, but every draft I had, I had a new kind of like phrase or theme, but they all still you know, worked well within one another and reminded, you know, one another of itself. So it all kind of fit. It was really just modern skill sets, versatility, shot creation was like the three biggest, you know, things. And I feel like they got every single one of those. You got the versatility and, and really guys like I feel uh, defensively like Blake Wesley. Who knows if Malachi Branham can actually become a solid team defender. You got a little bit there. Sohan, we shouldn't even discuss that. We already know <laughs> what he brings. Offensively, you got shot creation. Really, it was more so flashes with Wesley, but a guy like Malachi Branham, which showed a lot of shot creation off the bounce. Modern skill sets for each and every single one of these guys. So I think, for me, the Spurs had a very good night. And I know last year around this time, I mentioned that, you know, I think guys like Primo, you know, KJ and, and Devin Vassell were going to be the future. Guys like DeJounte, you know, Primo, I mean, uh, DeJounte Jakob and Derek White uh, were more so the present and they wouldn't be here for the long haul. And I think the Spurs are not necessarily seeing that. I'm not going to go that far, but I definitely think they know where this team stands 
And no matter what players they have on this roster right now, it's all about building for the future and getting guys that can apply pressure, in, uh, especially on both ends of the floor, in ways that aren't currently on this roster. And I feel like each one of these guys uh, that they selected definitely offer something new, something fresh. It's like a like a market salad from Chick Fil A, man. It's just it's just <laughs> really really good. <laughs> yeah, the Spurs did a good job at this draft. You know, borderline. You know, B plus, A minus. Like you don't get much better than this. I think they had one of the best drafts, arguably, of any team in this class. the The last thing I will even throw out here has nothing to do with the Spurs, but man, how did the NBA let the NBA champion Warriors get a hold of not only Patrick Baldwin Jr., a guy who largely considered one of the best shooters in this class, now he gets to work with Steph, he gets to work with Clay, he gets to work with Jordan Poole, he gets to work with Steve Kerr every single day, day in, day out. But then on top of that, Atlanta went ahead and said, yeah, we'll go ahead and trade you Ryan Rollins. Like, man, I I was, again, I know I've been saying like Ryan Rollins this, Ryan Rollins that, but, you know, 19th on my big board, really high on him. I think that when we look back at this draft, people are going to go, man, how did the Warriors get two like legit NBA players, basically second rounders, like. I don't know. But again, the Spurs did really well. That Ryan Rollins pick was nasty. That was nasty. I was like, give me a break. Like, because, I, I, I mean, we know how I feel about Ryan Rollins, man. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not going to say I was his biggest fan, but I'm definitely a guy that I just really, really liked. Uh, and I just felt like, I, I know I said, like, he came in, you know, very polished, this and the third. I just think, man, he's just someone that, oh, the, the like, the Warriors, they don't need Ryan Rollins. They don't need that. No. But... It's, a, it's an embarrassment of riches over there. And honestly, like that's the only way I think the Spurs would have gotten like a solidified A for me is if they had taken maybe one of the guys I had a little bit higher on my board. Really like Kendall Brown. I don't know how he fell all the way to the Indiana Pacers at like 46. But, man, good stuff. Like, really good draft from the Spurs. Really happy with this podcast with you. That's all we have, like, pretty much for all Spurs fans. I know that there's been, like, DeJounte to Atlanta or DeJounte to Minnesota. We'll get into free agency. We'll get into the trade rumors and and future podcasts. But, Dame, I appreciate you for showing up every single week. Your time to shine. Let people know where they can find you on social media, where they can find your NBA content, your NFL content, your Good Day SA content. So, really, really happy to have you on the show. Really excited to be able to do this with you week in and week out, but the floor is yours now. Yeah, brother. Thanks you. For, thanks for having me, bro. It's always dope having this. Like I said, it's always fun to get away from everything for an hour, hour and a half and just chat with you, bro. You've done a lot for me, so I appreciate you, man. For sure, go ahead and follow me on Twitter at D-A Bartonic. That's at D-A-B-A-R-T-O-N-E-K. I'll just say this, too. If DeJounte Murray gets traded... <laughs> I'm sure Noah and I will drop an emergency pod, and it'll probably be titled "Emergency Pod." <laughs> like it'll be, it'll be an emergency. So, but no, seriously, I, I can't wait to get into the free agency stuff, man. Definitely want to get some, uh, some people that you know, some, some, uh, some guys that you know, some of the fans may not know, some of the you know viewers of Pounding the Rock, fans of Pounding the Rock may not know. Really, just want to hit that hard, and yeah, check out Great Day Essay. I'm an intern there over at Ken's Five, and you know, some of the sports stuff that you'll see, uh, I have a little bit of a hand in it. So <laughs> yeah, just check it out, but. Yeah, until next time, y'all. Thank y'all very, very much. And yeah, Noah, let them know and send them off.
Yeah, and thanks again for joining us, and and really thanks to everybody who tuned into this edition of Alamo City Limits. And for those of you listening at home, make sure to subscribe, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We've got an amazing staff of writers over at Pounding the Rock, including myself and Dame, who do a wonderful job of keeping everybody up to date with their favorite team. So check our stuff out because we're going to be putting out a lot more podcasts, a lot more articles as the offseason wears on. But until next time, Spurs fans, take care.